I take it uh, as a given that all of us gathered here uh, want to fulfill the purpose of our lives. I take it as a given, right? Uh, that we all want to be the people we were created to be and to do the things we were created to do. Now, we may have doubts whether that's possible. Uh, we may actually think it is not possible for us, but at the core of our being, that desire to be those who are created to be, to do the things, to fulfill our purpose in life is at the core of who we are. It's just what it means to be human. If that is true, then the question comes to our mind, or should come to our mind, how do we do what we're created to do, right? How do we find um, the key that it might unlock for us the ability to do what we were created to do. And what might that key be? If you ask that question of the scriptures, the big story that the scriptures tell, I think that the scriptures would say one thing very consistently. It would say over and over and over again, if you want to get your purpose right, you have to get your worship right. If you want to do what you're created to do, you have to be in relationship with the one who created you to do it. That's the key. And it's written large right throughout the scriptures. We've been going through this Old Testament course and speed reading. I mean truly speed reading through the Old Testament. Uh, and that has just jumped off the page at me. That's one of the gifts of doing what we're doing. It's just, it is really remarkable to see how consistent the scriptures are. And that's the big story. And you can see it in all of the little ones. You can see it in our psalm this morning. And I'm going to simply want us to walk through Psalm 16. So if you want to take out your Bibles, you can find one in the pew, uh, the chair in front of you. It's Psalm 16. And I think it shows us the insight that David has about purpose and worship. Notice where David begins. Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. Preserve me. David is in trouble. David is always in trouble. But guess what? So are you and I. Right? You hear those other lessons today. I mean, this is an afflicted space. This is um, a fallen world that we live in. There is trouble all around. His life is threatened. Therefore, his purpose is threatened. So he cries out for preservation. I'm at risk. And he cries out to the one in whom he has taken refuge. He cries out to the one he's in relationship with. But he does something more than that. If you look at it, verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. 
He rehearses something. Do you see that? He's crying out. And then as he cries out, he says, no, I've got to do something else. I have to reestablish my relationship. I have to say to myself, as well as saying to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good. He makes a confessional statement of allegiance. That's what he's doing here. In fact, it's a covenantal statement of allegiance. He is responding to the God who has made a covenant with him and saying, yes, I own this. I am this. This is who I am and this is to whom I belong. And he establishes that statement of allegiance. It's not hubris. It is not uh, our arrogance saying, I'm going to call upon the God of the universe and he's going to have to own up. It's all because of grace, is it not? Remember, David is only responding to the covenant that God has made with him and his people. When God came to reestablish his kingdom in the world, he chose Abraham and his people and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And David is going, all right, you are my God. (laughs) Apart from you, I have no God. But you see, in the midst of his troubles, when he is threatened, his purpose in life is threatened, he reestablishes and reaffirms who he is and where he is and to whom he belongs. He makes a confession of allegiance. And that's exactly where you and I need to start. When we come into our times of trouble, when we are crying out, evoked from us this need of preservation or direction or whatever it is. We need to reestablish the relationship upon which we can cry out. We need to reestablish our own sense of allegiance and say it out loud. That's why we confess the creed every single week when we gather. That's what we're doing every single week. We are confessing our statement of allegiance. That's what happens when every time you pray the Lord's Prayer. Every time you say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, you are saying, I am part of that family. I stand under this Lordship, this Fatherhood. And we need to do that moment by moment, day by day, but especially when we are threatened. We need to make that statement of allegiance in the midst of the trying times, the fearful times. That's where David begins. You are my God. Apart from you, I have no good. Then he goes on. Uh, And he uh, moves on from making that allegiance to observing his world. And what he does is he looks upon the world around him and he sees two groups of people. If you notice that, in verse 3, he sees the saints in the land. That's one side. And then he sees, verse 4, those who run after another God. That's it. That's all he sees. He sees those who worship the one true God 
and those who don't. Those who worship the Creator and those who worship something other than the Creator, something lesser than the Creator. And he's saying a very key thing about who we are and what we are and what we do. You see, you and I think that we choose to worship. I think that is sort of in our, in our culture. We say we can choose to worship or we can choose not to worship. We have that choice, right? David would say, you don't. You don't have a choice to worship. You were created as somebody who has to worship. You're compelled to worship. You must worship something. We are not self-contained beings. We're not self-fulfilled beings. Our meaning, our purposes are lying beyond ourselves. We feel ourselves called out of ourselves. We have to give ourselves to something outside of ourselves. That's just who we are. So the question is not will you worship, but what do you worship? Whom do you worship? That's your only choice. We are compelled to worship something. The other thing that David is assuming here, and I think it is really quite clear, is the second big thing that the scriptures teaches us is that we become like that which we worship. What is ultimate in our lives have a shaping impact on our lives. They mold us, they make us. They form us into their image. And therefore, we will only, we will either be made into the image of the one who made us or into the image of something else, something other, something less. That's why David says, the saints in the land are the excellent ones, right? In whom is all my delight. And when I look at everybody else, I see the sorrows of those who seek after other gods, and they will only increase. What we worship has an impact on our lives. It has a direction to our lives. It's either for good or for ill. And so David's saying, knowing this, knowing that we are compelled to worship, knowing that we are shaped by that which we worship, he says, okay, well then, I say, I choose the Lord. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Verse 5, you hold my lot. David looks out at his world and says, I know I'm compelled to worship something. I know that I will be shaped by what I worship. Therefore, I'm going to choose to worship the one true God. (laughs) Right? I will make him my portion and my cup. David looks at the table in the temple and says, this is the feast that I choose. It's a very interesting thing. When he talks about worship, he talks about the feast. You hear that? The sacrificial system of Israel was to enable the feasting with their God. The taking away of the sins of the world, yes, that's important, but it's only important so we can come to the table. It's the table 
It's the being in the presence of this one that is the goal, the end of all of the worship. And so David says, I choose this table as the center of my life. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And you can understand that, can you not? Let me just bring it home. Do you and I know in our guts that we are compelled to worship something? Do you know that? Get rid of that, the, the lie of the enemy that you have a choice not to worship something. It's bogus. And do you get the fact that you will become like that which you worship? You will be shaped by what is really ultimate in your life. And if you knew that, why then would you not choose this as your portion and your cup? Why not choose this table to be the center of your life if it is truly the center of the world? If this is where the creator comes to feast with his creature, his people. That's what David does. He makes a statement of allegiance to this God, and then he rehearses in himself saying, yeah, this is the center of my life. This and all that flows from it will shape my life. I will choose this form of life in the living out of my purpose. And so must we. But then he moves on from that, verses 6 through 10. Then he reflects on his own lived experience. Uh, it really is quite remarkable. Uh, he looks to his past, verse 6, and says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Here is the king of Israel looking back onto his own history. His, his own personal history, his family's history, his people's history, all the way back to Abraham, and going, I'm part of this family. I'm part of this story. This is what the, that shapes the purpose of my life. And these lines, this is the excellent ones. It's my story. That's what he says. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He then turns to his future. And he says, I have a beautiful inheritance. He says, I look back to where it started, and I look ahead to where it's going to end. It's beautiful. I have a beautiful inheritance. And then he returns to his present reality, and it's quite different. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, gives Present tense, ongoing, counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. David, having made his allegiance, confession of allegiance, having, having chosen this table and all that goes with it as the center of his life, discovers now that he's living in this living, dynamic partnership with his God. I find it quite 
wonderful when you think about it. He went to bed at night asking for preservation. He woke up in the morning with counsel given from God. God spoke to him as he slept. And he wakes up and goes, bless you. Bless you. I now know what to do today. I now know how I am to live today. You have counseled me in the night. It's the dynamic, living, interpersonal relationship with his creator that fuels and directs his purpose, his living into his purpose. And that's what God wants for all of us. That's exactly what he wants for us. Those who make this statement of allegiance, those who make this choice of this table being the center of their lives, he wants us to live now within that interpersonal dynamic relationship with him. We live with this one. We travel on the journey with this one. We cry out, he speaks. We hear, we act. And we keep on moving, acting on our purposes. That's what David describes in this thing. And it is a wondrous thing. Having done that, having blessed the Lord, he then goes on to say, and I have confidence now I can fulfill my purpose. Look at this. I have set the Lord always before me. Right? And I do it again. Right? Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I was being afraid and asking for preservation. Well, guess what? I know now I'm not going to be shaken. No. Therefore, my heart is glad. I who was afraid, now I'm just bursting with energy and gladness. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And why is that? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, when we read those words, I think most of us leap ahead to the resurrection of Jesus. We leap ahead, perhaps, to Peter's sermon on Pentecost as it reflects on this with the people given there. Because uh, Peter says, you know, David did see corruption. We can point to his grave. <laughs> but that's not what David is saying here with these words as he speaks the words. He is knowing that he will die himself. He knows that. He's not an idiot. right? He knows it. What he was saying is, I who felt threatened in the fulfilling of my purpose now am convicted that God will indeed help me to do exactly that. Even death will not thwart that fulfillment. Even as I go to die, my life's meaning will carry on. Death will not have the last word. And therefore, he can act in that day with that conviction. 
It's a stunning song. A real stunning song. And then David returns and wraps it up in three short, glorious statements. Janice reminds me, I see glorious a lot. I got but it is glorious. I'm sorry, it is too much. Um, but let's look at the last three. Uh, he says this, you, again, he's dressing God directly, you make known to me the paths of life. I can almost hear David just penning this for the first time, going, I am amazed by this. You have made known to me the paths of life, how I am to fulfill my purpose. That's what he's got revealed to him. And he goes, are you kidding me? What a gift. What a gift it is to have that revealed. I don't have to make it up. I don't have to be anxious about what it is. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. David says, to have the paths of life revealed to me is a good thing. It's a great thing. But you know what? The best thing? In your presence. Joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy. That's the main thing. That's the fuel for life. It's that relationship. And then finally, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. There's the future orientation yet again. But that's how David comes. Having made his confession of allegiance, you are my God. Right? This is who I am. I belong to you. I am staking this out, and I do it anytime I feel threatened. And then having chosen, knowing that he must worship something and his way of life must be shaped by that which he worships, he says, I choose this table as the center of my life and everything that flows from it. Then finds himself living in this living, dynamic relationship with this God. And knows that as his purpose is revealed to him, your paths are given to me. You show me this path. And his future is assured, pleasures forevermore. He's assured of that because he knows he is in the presence of this God. That's the center of his life. And that needs to be the center of ours. If we are to fulfill the purposes of our life. It is the key. We need to come to say with David and know it's true that you, O Lord, show me the paths of life. That 
You assure my destiny. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. And I know this. I know this. Because in your presence, I find joy. You know that you will fulfill the purpose of your life. That's what David says. What do we say? Let us pray.